Sometimes faith is like a bar of soap. Just when you feel like you've got a handle on it, that thing just squirts right out. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. You know, think of, think of Peter walking on water. He had faith instantly, but then when he was out there thinking, I'm walking, and then he started sinking. You know, somehow the faith that got him on the water out of the boat, somehow it, it just squirted a little further away. So this morning, the challenge we face is how do we get a better grip on faith? And the role model we have today is Abraham. Now Abraham is the most honored religious figure of all time. Abraham is looked to as by the Jews as their father, by the Muslims as the great prophet, and by Christians as the father of all who believe. So when you put together 17 million Jews, about 1.8 million Muslims, 2.4, I'm sorry, 1.8 billion Muslims, 2.4 billion Christians. Basically, half of the world's population look to Abraham as an honorable example or more than that. When we come today, now it's page 20 in your uh, journals, we come to Romans chapter 4. We've got a lot of work cut out for us, but Abraham stands as this incredible example of faith, such a role model that the Apostle Paul, in his brilliant uh, explanation of the gospel, the, really a Christian manifesto, the book of Romans, he devotes an entire chapter, one of the only 16 chapters exclusively to this guy Abraham. And the question in front of Paul and in front of us today is what was it in Abraham that qualified him to be the first who became righteous? What was it in this guy that made him righteous? And we're going to look at it this morning the same way the Apostle Paul does by asking that question and giving three options on a multiple choice exam. So the question is, how was Abraham made righteous? A, by who he is, by some innate goodness within Abraham, that he was just better than everybody else. That's option A. Option B is Abraham did something that qualified him to be called righteous in God's sight. So it wasn't 
who he was, it was what he did. That's option B. Option C, for simple purposes, we're just going to say none of the above. So what do you say? You can think that through. Uh, don't yell it out. Uh, we don't want to embarrass anyone with a wrong answer. Just kind of keep it to yourself. But um, we're going to work our way through this. So with the question on the table, how was it that Abraham was called righteous? And now follow this. Not only does history elevate Abraham as a unique religious figure, God elevated Abraham. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God called Abraham a friend of God. Not only was he called a friend of God, but God is called the God of Abraham. Several places, God refers to himself as, I'm the God of Abraham. I mean, that is, that's kind of, whoa. That's honor. So, A, there was something unique in Abraham that qualified him. Well, look at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? What that means is what, there was something in him. Is that what did it? Well, what we know about Abraham, if you understand the history of the Bible, there was nothing uniquely superior in Abraham that qualified him. He was born um, a idol worshiper. His parents were idol worshipers. They lived in Ur, a city in Babylon, and those in that city predominantly worshipped the moon goddess. He was a worshiper of the moon goddess. His parents were, his grandparents were, his great-grandparents were. So to suggest that there was something superior in Abraham, verse 1 clearly shows that wasn't the case. The second option is Abraham did something superior. What he did qualified him uniquely to be um, the first person called righteous. Well, look at verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, see, that's the word, that's the operative word here, by what he did, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Well, uh, what follows here is a list of potential things that could have qualified Abraham by works. And it goes on, the first is, is circumcision. And um, it is verse 9. If this blessing, then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? You see, let's just stop there. If Abraham was considered righteous after being circumcised, then we would say he earned it by what he did. He qualified to be called righteous because of being circumcised. But we continue. He says very explicitly, 
he uh, had faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would not be counted by them uh, as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before listen, before he was circumcised. So the work of even circumcision, which the Jews have elevated, that was not what qualified Abraham for righteousness. So he was not declared righteous because of the work of circumcision. Rather, he was declared righteous by not works, but simply by believing God. Now this is where faith enters the equation. It was his faith in God that credited to him righteousness or right standing before God. And as a result of having right standing with God, then he followed that by obedience. The obedience of faith in being circumcised. Then we come to the next example. The, the, the second example of Abraham obeying God after he was declared righteous is the land. Look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, what he's saying here is not just the land of Israel, although that's part of it, but he says heir to the world. Abraham was promised not just that God would make him a nation, a father of a nation, but that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he left his homeland in Babylon and went to a land he wasn't even sure existed, but God told him it existed and he obeyed the word of God and went. That happened not prior to him being made righteous, but after. It's another example, just as circumcision is, of the obedience of faith. Having been made righteous, then he obeys God. He obeyed God in circumcision. He obeyed God by leaving one homeland and traveling to the next. The third act or work of Abraham was the, the child, his son Isaac. And we come to verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offsprings, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. For it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, 
who gives faith to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith as he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham did not earn a baby but he did believe in the promise, and God did fulfill the promise and gave him a child. The, the baby was not in something he earned because of his perfect faith. He, he didn't deny reality in order to muster up some kind of a, a, a faith that ruled out the possibility of of not having a child. It says he considered his body. He considered his wife's womb. Now, the reason Paul took a whole chapter in Romans to deal with this matter of faith, and the reason we're taking an entire Sunday morning to protect the purity of true faith and expose the counterfeit of fake faith is because underneath everything else going on in our lives, there is going on for all of us the testing of our faith. No matter what other trial you are going through, you are going through the testing of your faith. If it's a child with cancer, if it's, if it's wondering how your career is gonna work out, whatever trial, whatever issue you are facing. The real testing is not the circumstances, but the circumstances contribute to the testing of your faith. And in our day, faith is utterly misunderstood. In the society around us, this is faith. Oh, you need to have faith. Things are gonna get better. As if faith is optimism. Believing somehow almost in fate that sooner or later the tide's gonna turn and things are gonna get better. That is not faith. And what makes it worse is we have brought into the church, not this church, but generally in our world today, we have brought that same misunderstanding that faith is actually optimism, into the church, we put a few Bible verses on top of it to where, here's what's taught. If you have enough faith, you'll get your miracle. If you rule out the possibility of, of this not happening, it will happen because God loves faith. And if you can straighten out your, your own 
inner life enough to where you produce somehow this positive thinking and only positive thinking, then you'll get your miracle. That is not faith, that is voodoo. That is witchcraft. Let me tell you a few things about faith this morning that comes right from the life of Abraham and right from our text. Number one, faith is honest. Faith does not deny reality. Abraham did not say, I'm not 100 years old, I'm not 100 years old, I'm not 100 years old. He didn't say, my wife's womb is not barren. Her, my wife's womb is not barren. My wife is not 99 years old. My not, wife is not 99 years we, we have not had sex 5,000 times and we've never had a child. We've never had a child. We've never had a child. No, no, he, he didn't say that. It says he considered his situation. He considered his body. He did not deny it in order to produce the kind of faith that would please God. Don't let anyone put that on you. Don't let anyone tell you that you have to have some kind of a mind game of optimism in order for you to have a faith that pleases God. It is not biblical. You do, faith does not deny reality. Faith takes hold of a higher reality. I get worked up about this. You, you, you couldn't guess. The reason is I'm a protector. I'm a protector. God wired me to protect you. Your faith is being tested, but the, the sicko reality is that your faith is being tested by people who call themselves teachers. And it has no place in the house. Not this house. This is why the Bible says take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Don't allow yourself, your own prayer life, to be ravaged by the false teaching of our day. The second thing we learn here is faith is pure. Now I want to explain this because this is the marker that will separate fake faith from genuine faith. If you think you have to conjure up a faith that has no doubt so that you don't ever speak a word of doubt or, or, or have a thought of doubt, if you think that's what is necessary for God to answer your prayers, you, listen to me carefully, you are putting the burden on your shoulders rather than putting it on God's shoulders. Fake faith trusts in faith, genuine faith trusts in God. Now at this point, I need to clarify certain things about faith. First of all, genuine faith does not originate in us. Genuine faith originates in God and he gives it to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Yes. 
So the faith that we have to put in God came from him. But the, the second point is more important. Fake faith trusts in faith held by the person. Genuine faith trusts in God, the object of our faith. If you, and, and oh, oh, this just. No, my fighter comes out. Because I am jealous for your faith. That do not let false teachers put the burden on you. When God all along wants you to put the burden on him. Fake faith trusts in the subject who has the faith. Genuine faith trusts in the object in whom we place our faith. It's the difference. It's totally the difference. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What is that? It's an honest prayer, owning the fact I've got unbelief. I'm not denying that. But what little faith I have, I put in you, my God. Hudson Taylor was a man known as a man of great faith. Yeah. He went to an unreached people in Southeast Asia. He had incredible results. He prayed in literally millions and millions of, of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of workers to join him. And almost everyone that would come would say, oh, uh, Mr. Taylor, you're a man of such great faith. And he would almost rebuke them and say, no, you are wrong. I am a man of weak faith, but I put what little faith I have in a great God. Hallelujah. I totally love that. Amen. That's genuine faith. Because faith is not about us. Faith is about him. And the more we shift our focus from ourselves and put it onto him, the more our faith will grow. Hallelujah. I forgot where I am. Do I have another point here? Okay, good. The last point. First, faith is honest. We don't deny reality. We take hold of a, of a higher reality. Second, faith is pure. Because it doesn't depend on us. Just like love. Perfect love drives out fear. It's not our love, it's God's love for us. We don't put the burden on our love, we put the burden on God's love. And, and faith is the same way. Faith is pure, doesn't mean it's perfect, but we place what little imperfect faith we have in a perfect God. And the third point. Faith is effective. Faith works. Anyone that teaches on faith and tells you that faith comes up empty is lying to you. Faith does not come up empty. Faith does not necessarily get exactly what you're asking for, but faith always gets exactly what you need. 
Faith gets you God. Faith gets you God's presence, God's peace. All that there is in God is accessed by faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. That's why it says faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. In this little book of, of Romans, faith is used. The word faith is used over 50 times. And 15 times in the fourth chapter, faith. And that phrase, faith was counted to him as righteousness in one way or another appears in this one chapter seven times. Seven times. Counted, counted. What? Faith is counted. That's why um, Jesus, when he went around, it was like he had a Geiger counter for faith. Like he could, he could hear it ticking when he, when he came near faith. And, and, and he said, uh, your faith has made you whole. He, he had an ability to, he was attracted to faith. Because Jesus, being God, moves in the direction of those who are more into him than into themselves. And he got near to sometimes and he'd say, not even in all Israel have I seen such faith as in this guy. What is that? He's counting. The ticker is going. He's attracted. Faith is the currency of heaven. Trust is faith. Trust. In fact, these three words are identical in the Greek language. Trust, faith, believe. Believe is the verb form of the noun faith. Trust is both a noun and a verb. Hallelujah. It's the same word. It's when the focus is more on God than on me. And this is exactly why it sometimes can squirt out of our hands like a bar of soap because we think we've got it. And it's about us. It's never about us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, 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 the whole time I've been preaching, I've seen this wild picture. You guys are so patient with your pastor. Once in a while, I like flipping water up in the air. And you're so patient with me. Um, but I've had a picture that goes far beyond just flicking a, a, a water bottle with an inch of water left and uh, not hurting anybody or not doing any damage, but just kind of a little playful. But I've had this picture of Jesus walking around with a fire hose, like hosing us off this morning. And not, not as much playful as getting rid of the false faith from us. I just feel like we need to break that off this morning. That we need to get rid of that. Because that false faith can, can make us tentative on faith. 
We dare not be tentative when it comes to trusting God. God wants us all in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But, but if we're worried about the false faith teaching and, and well, I don't want to become too excessive and I don't want to be fanatical and really? I don't think Abraham was too worried about that. I don't ever hear Jesus saying, okay, you tone down your faith. You're expecting too much. You show me that verse. No, I want to end with this verse. It's page 64 in your journal, and this is where I end. It's Romans 14, 23. Whatever does not come from faith is sin. Wow. Yeah, wow. Whatever does not come from faith is sin. Now, a great reference, and those of you, the reason you, we've got these journals is so that you write in them. So on page 64, you can find that verse. It's the last verse of um, chapter 14. Whatever does not come from faith is sin. Write in the margin this reference, Hebrews 11:6. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that. We spend a lot of time doing stuff that really requires no faith. God wants us living in a place where we are constantly living by faith. Lord, take me there. Lord, as a church family, take us there. Do whatever it takes to get us living by faith. It doesn't say the just shall once in a while dip their toe in faith. It says that the righteous shall live by faith. God help us. I don't know about you, but there's something stirring in me today. Even though I don't understand it completely, I want to say, Lord, I'm in. I want you to increase my faith. I want to live by faith. I don't want to just dabble. I don't want to be in the shallow end of the kiddie pool of faith. And we as a people, Lord, hose us down. Free us from the contamination of false faith and false faith teaching so that we don't have to drive with our foot on the brake, so to speak. Afraid of faith. Lord, stimulate faith. Activate faith. In Jesus' name. Now, just one more second and we're done. Right now, many of us, I would dare say most of us, are facing a situation in life that requires faith. It's an opportunity. You know, you can hear a message like this and you can think, well, where can I fabricate a situation where I can exercise faith? Forget that. Start right where you are. Don't, don't make up something that's unreal. 
Start right where you are. God, right where you are, wants you to trust in him. Would you stand with me this morning, please? Holy Spirit, we as a church family ask you to come and increase our faith. Lord, we, we receive the hosing down of even the preaching of your word this morning that cleanses us, washes off of us the whole principle of fake faith. And Lord, we shift the burden off of our shoulders and put it squarely where it belongs, on your shoulders. And we don't, want, we don't need for a moment to try to fabricate a miracle setting where you can do something extraordinary. Right where we're living, we ask you to do extraordinary things. And we want to bring to you, we want to bring to you this morning our stuff, so that we can declare over the, the stubborn, the difficult circumstances of life, we want to declare over these circumstances your sovereign power, your ability. When we lack the ability, we, we declare your ability. And ultimately, my friend, if you're here this morning and have never staked the claim on eternal salvation, please, today, trust in Jesus for your right standing before God. Just pray a simple prayer with me right now. Loving Father, I repent of trying hard to be a good enough person to earn my way into heaven. I renounce my self-effort. My good deeds will never earn me heaven. Today I put my trust completely in Jesus for my salvation. And I receive the free gift of eternal life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.